All right, you ready to get into the word? All right. Well, just uh, join with me just for a moment in prayer. Father God, we again are gathered here, Lord, to enjoy your presence, to bring you glory, and also to feast at the table of your word. God, I'm so grateful for all the things that your word does and all the things your word has revealed to us, that it accomplishes everything that you sent it to do in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in the world, and among us. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in part five of a series called The Kingdom Among Us, and we're, this is a survey through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to pick up uh, the ministry of Jesus where he has been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, repent for the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God is at hand in him. He is the kingdom, the kingdom of one. He is God's messenger, God's son, God's anointed one, God's high priest for us. He is the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God for you and me. And as Jesus was doing that, he also, and part of his preaching, he was healing all kinds of sick people. He was uh, literally delivering people from demonic oppression and uh, all kinds of, of darkness, of, of, of difficulty, of bondage, of sickness, of ailments. Uh, the list is extensive is extensive. And he said, uh, one part in scripture just before this says, and people brought him people of, with all kinds of diseases and he healed them all. Uh, aren't we grateful? Are you grateful that Jesus heals them all, yeah. us all? And so what ended up happening is crowds began to follow him. They wanted to be part of what was going on. It was exciting. Um, and also, they, crowds began to follow him because deep in our heart, there is, a, there is an underlying question that prevails a lot of our humanity, our human existence. And that question is, what life is the good life and where can I find it? I mean, that's why there's the, the, it's in every bookstore, it's in every conference, it's on many podcasts, it's, uh, you know, it's in uh, political associations and service clubs and diets and workout regimens and everyone in meditation and all kinds of different things trying to answer the question, uh, what life is the good life and how do we find it? And so when people heard about the power... They heard about his preaching. They heard that people were getting healed and people were getting set free. That question that is deep inside our hearts is, what life is the good life? And how can I find it? Began to motivate and attract them to follow Jesus around. And Jesus came to a place where it's maybe called the Sermon on the Mount, but it is probably more like a hillside than what we might think of as, as a mountain. Um, but he was on a, he came to a hillside. There was a great crowd gathered. He had many in the crowd, Scripture says, he had healed them of all kinds of diseases. And he comes up to a place a little bit higher on that hill uh, because Jesus didn't have a microphone. Um, he had no sound system to project his voice. So he had to get to a place where he could get up a little higher and see the crowds of people so they could hear. And his disciples all gathered around, and he began to teach them 
about the kingdom, to teach them about what they were experiencing, to help them understand that the question they came for, he had an answer for, but it may not look or materialize in the way they had thought. So let's pick up. It's a long scripture reading, but don't worry. Just because it's a long passage doesn't mean it will be a long sermon. Hallelujah. So I'm going to proclaim the scriptures. And what I can't do, the scripture can do. Before I comment on anything, just hear the word of the Lord. Hear the scriptures. They are the living truth. If I can get my iPad to work. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to take a look at the availability of the kingdom, the testimony of the kingdom, and the wisdom of the kingdom. The availability of the kingdom. Unlike all the kingdoms of this earth where you have to be born in by being born in a certain place or being born into a certain family, and if you're not that, you need to go through a lengthy process to prove that you're worthy or qualified or you're ready to be a part of another kingdom, and even then you still might not feel as if you have been fully received. 
God's kingdom is available unlike any other kingdom of the earth. The testimony of the kingdom. The kingdoms of this earth are known for their military might or lack thereof, their riches or lack thereof, their natural resources or lack thereof. What is the testimony of the kingdom of God? Jesus speaks of it here. And the wisdom of the kingdom. The kingdoms of this earth and the cultures therein have some degrees of wisdom or lack thereof. What is the wisdom of God's kingdom that Jesus is pointing to in this passage? Well, the common approach that is used to describe this passage that is oftentimes called the Beatitudes, which just means the blesseds, the, the blesseds or God's blessed, those who are blessed, the blesseds. The common approach is that Jesus might be giving a list of desirable character qualities some preachers I've heard say the B attitudes that each have a reward attached. The Beatitudes are almost presented like a new set of commandments with Jesus taking the role of Moses and saying, all of you out there, I now proclaim to you a new set of virtues, ones you haven't heard before, and these will surely get you favor with God and into his kingdom. Any of you heard teaching or understanding that loosely kind of follows that, that rhythm? Are there problems with this approach? Yeah. The most obvious problem with this approach is that not all of the conditions are desirable. Even in the kingdom. I mean, yes, I want to have a pure heart. That is a desirable condition. I want to be a peacemaker. That is a desirable condition in the kingdom of God. But are we really saying we should seek out persecution? Are we really saying that Jesus is instructing us to seek out grief? Are these desirable conditions, desirable attitudes? I'm not sure that's the unifying thread of these eight qualities or these eight conditions. Because underneath, if we, if we think that these are attitudes to attain to or that have specific rewards attached to them, tied to the entrance into the kingdom of God, there's really a destructive problem with that. And that is, is that tying any condition, any work, any attitude of ours to kingdom access slanders grace. This would then amount to like a set of blueprints for engineering your own way into the kingdom. Just be humble enough. Just cry enough. Just be persecuted enough. Just be meek enough. Just be something enough. And you can gain God's favor. You can earn God's favor. It offers various interests to the kingdom. Like, well, I might not have been persecuted, but I am humble, praise God. Right? It sets up this, this list of like, am I going to take my buffet of conditions and attitudes, and do I have enough to get into the kingdom to get the rewards? I mean, really, here we would have full-blown, if not salvation by works, salvation by attitude. Let's say, is there another way to understand this scene? Is there another thread or a message that would unify these eight qualities that would match Jesus' teaching style of offering concrete examples 
and illustrations to help people understand what they were experiencing in his presence, what they were experiencing in relationship with him at hand. Because they're not sitting taking notes in some esoteric way like to, to, to write a book someday. Jesus is teaching. He is teaching to transform their lives right then. And what is Jesus' theme song? His fundamental message is that God's kingdom is freely available to all humanity through me. That might be extremely liberating and extremely restrictive all at the same time. He's saying the kingdom is freely available to everyone through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone can come to the Father through me, but no one can come to the Father apart from me. Could it be that Jesus is highlighting those in the gathered crowd that might be regarded as hopeless by the world, those apparently disqualified from God's favor, to exhibit them as enjoying God's touch and abundant abundant provision? Could it be that Jesus is offering concrete examples to prove the kingdom of God is freely available in life circumstances beyond all human hope? Would this help the crowds understand what was happening and where the good life could be found? Would this teach the disciples something relevant to their lives in that moment and about their call and their mission going forward as followers of Jesus Christ? Let's look at this list again in that light. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You notice Jesus did not say, blessed are the poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. Now, there's a lot of uh, talk that poor in spirit really just means to be humble. And humility is a godly virtue. It is a sign of a heart that's been softened by the grace of Jesus Christ. But there are plenty of Greek words to describe humility. And this really means spiritual poverty, spiritual bankruptcy, a spiritual zero, Do you know anyone that has faced real spiritual poverty in their upbringing? They are the folks with no qualifications, no identifiable abilities, no upbringing. They didn't come from the right family. They weren't raised in a Christian home. They have no pedigree. They have no obvious charisma. They have no religious glitter. They have no clout. Do you know people that are, spiritually speaking, would feel or have a sense of total bankruptcy, spiritual poverty. Yeah. Could it be that Jesus is saying, blessed are those in this crowd who have been left out of every religious ceremony you've ever seen and don't even, can't make heads or tails of anything the scribes and the Pharisees are talking about. Probably some of you can't make any heads or tails of what I'm talking about. You're not alone. Jesus is saying, blessed are you because my kingdom is for you too. You have a kingdom. You have an eternal kingdom through me. You're no longer left out in the cold. 
Your pedigree won't stand against you. Your spiritual upbringing or bankruptcy will not stand against you. My kingdom is now your kingdom. You have a kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, you notice Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who mourn because they are mourning. Otherwise, we might as well just tell our kids to stop having lemonade stands. We're just going to sell lemons because you need to stay sad. We want you to stay sad because if you're sad and you cry enough and you mourn enough, then you can receive the kingdom of the Lord. You can receive the kingdom of God. But this, this passage is not just saying, it's not describing somebody who's just mourning over their own sin, which is something that would be godly and holy to have remorse over our own iniquity or over our own sin to, to be able to, to, to see the need to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. This word, blessed are those who mourn, again, there are ample Greek words to describe that. This is blessed are those who are grief-stricken. Do you know anyone grief-stricken? Maybe, maybe you have been grief-stricken at a season in the past, or maybe you are today. Someone whose spouse has left them? Someone paralyzed by rejection? How about a parent in gut-wrenching grief over the death of a child? How about someone laid off from a beloved job near the sunset of their career with no time to retrain? You know, there are plenty of ways that this world breaks your heart. Could it be that Jesus is saying, you know those who are grief-stricken in this crowd? Where you know that nothing in this world can really truly comfort you in that deep place over that, the grief that is binding to your heart? Blessed are those who are grief-stricken because in my kingdom, my comfort is up to the task. The comfort in my kingdom can overwhelm and be a salve to really comfort what no other sustenance can from this world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That word meek comes from the equestrian side of life. It's the word used to describe when a trainer breaks the spirit of a horse. Now, I don't know about you, but I was a wild horse as a child. I had teachers that would tell my parents and recommend to my parents to put me on all kinds of various drugs to get me to be calmer and to sit in my seat in class. And, um, I mean, the list was long. Uh, it seemed each new teacher had some new recommendation for my parents. Um, and I, this was, I was oblivious to this growing up. I, I wasn't aware of any of these um, interchanges or uh, any of these recommendations. Uh, but when I had uh, 
our, when Michelle and I, when we had Aaron, our firstborn, and we started to parent in front of my parents, um, I would also often ask my parents for advice and for help, um, and uh, because uh, I, I wanted to learn how to, to, to handle my own child, who is probably a little difficult. Um, and, you know, as you sow, so shall you reap. Um, thank you, Lord. I just bless you, Lord God. And my mom said something to me that always sticks. She said, you know, we, we weren't, because uh, I was asking her, you know, I, I never, re- you were never, you weren't that hard on me. You weren't harsh with me. Um, it's not that you weren't strict, but you were never harsh. Like, how, how, did, how did you do that? And she said, well, your dad and I didn't want to break your spirit. It was really important to us. Do you know anyone with a broken spirit that's been broken like a horse or maybe a difficult child? Someone who always feels intimidated and unassertive and overlooked and shy and used to being walked over, having things taken from them, used to submitting to many masters. You know, this world has a lot of masters that want to have authority over you always getting the short end of every stick. Can you hear Jesus saying, blessed are those who have broken spirits, who have been broken like a horse at the whip, who have been talked out of every inheritance they've ever had. Blessed are the meek, the ones with broken spirits, for they shall inherit the earth in my kingdom. Even those with broken spirits have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that can never be taken away, that can never be, you can never be talked out of it. Blessed. The blessedness of the kingdom of God has come to you. You in the crowd today with broken spirits, the kingdom of God is at hand. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, this is not a description of someone who's seeking after justice, like to love justice or to love mercy and to do justice. This is a description of someone who is famished and parched for justice or righteousness that cannot be attained, seemingly be attained any other way. Do you know anyone famished for justice? Someone so severely wronged and dealt such terrible injustices that they are consumed with a longing to see an injury set right, but no matter what they do, there is a chronic emptiness inside? You know, there are wrongs that people suffer in this world that there is no real legal way to compensate for them. And there is a deep longing and a parched famishedness of seeking and longing for a justice that really can't be attained. There's no way to repair that, that, that wound or that gap in a, to any human course of action. Can you hear Jesus saying, blessed are those who are famished for justice and righteousness. They shall be filled. The justice 
that I bring in my kingdom is up to the challenge. It's up to the task to really fill you and replace that emptiness to such a degree you will no longer thirst again. You will no longer go without again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, merciful, this is starting to sound good. To be merciful, that's a godly quality that we would, we would honor in the kingdom of God. But I want to ask, is mercy a celebrated trait in the world? What are merciful people called? Wimps, pushovers, those that relent easily and show mercy are often looked down upon with disdain. The world would say, woe to the merciful, for they shall be taken advantage of. Can you hear Jesus saying to the ones in the crowd who have had that spoken at them over and over and over again, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And no longer be looked down upon in my kingdom as those who are pushovers, as those who are wimps. My kingdom has come for you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I would love to have a pure heart. You can hear even the psalmist David say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But in the world's eyes, purity of heart is like innocence. Is innocence a desirable quality in the world? Do you know anyone who, that is widely regarded as naive because of their innocence? Or that someone whose innocence is looked down upon by the world, that they don't get what everyone else is talking about, that they might be a prude, they don't get the jokes, they don't see what's going on, like there's a, almost a blindness to their innocence that's made fun of. Sometimes I think that's what I've been mo most concerned about with my children's interaction in society is that they would be made fun of for their innocence. I mean, we even have people, well, don't keep them in a bubble, right? Innocence is, is not revered in the world. But can you hear Jesus saying to those in the crowd, blessed are those who have some innocence, who have some purity of heart, who the world has said you're blind to everything that's really going on, to the business at hand. For they shall see God. The blindness that the world sees is sight in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemaking, that's something that's celebrated in the kingdom of God. But I'm going to ask, on a very practical level, is being a peacemaker, does that, does that get you a lot of accolades in the world? 
Well, let's try this example on for size. Have you ever stepped in to mediate a dispute between two angry family members? Between Aunt Joe and Aunt Jane and their families, and they don't agree about such and such and how their kids treated my kids on the last time they visited and how we don't really like their parenting and we don't like them at all and they've really wounded our kids and it gets all complex and messy and there's camps that get established. I know none of your families have anything like this going on. And have you ever stepped in to try and mediate peace between two hostile parties. And what does it get you? What does it get you from those parties? Do they trust you more or less? Each, each member of the, the opposing sides actually trusts you less because they know you can see and are willing to look at the other person's side. You end up being the family member without a side. And the problem with that is is that deep in the human heart is the idea that the people most valuable to us are the people on our own side, even if we're wrong. And so for those who have been stuck in the middle, for those who have been willing to step out and try to mediate either family or social hostility, can you hear Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. They have a side. I'm not coming to their side, but they're coming to my side, and my side not only wins, but it's eternal. They have a family, a tribe, a side. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know anyone who has been attacked because of their stand for what is right? Someone who not only suffered momentary harassment, but their lives were ruined or even disfigured beyond any fair compensation in this world. And as Jesus saying, hey, hey, everyone, go out and get persecuted. That's how you'll really be. That's how you really get my, uh, my favor. Or is he looking out on the crowd? Can you hear Jesus saying, you know, those of you in this crowd who have already faced persecution for even being a part of this crowd. Or maybe you have gone through and you were baptized in the Jordan from, by John the Baptist and you've already experienced the ridicule of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious community. And those of you who have yet to face any persecution, if you haven't, it's probably coming. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this crowd, those of you who have or will face persecution for my sake, you have an incorruptible kingdom. You have a, a kingdom that is, with, that is eternal. Nobody, your, your position and your place, your citizenship, your belonging to this kingdom is never under peril. I mean, when you faced persecution or when you faced opposition, 
How many of you have gone to a place where you're wondering, is this even really God? Like, or am I just pushing in the wrong way? Am I the one that's the problem? I'm just going to go and go do something. I'm quitting. I'm giving up on whatever that is, and I'm going over here because that hurts. And what Jesus is saying, I believe, I don't believe that Jesus was saying that people were better off for being spiritually bankrupt or for crying a lot or for being persecuted or that really any of the conditions listed are recommended ways to well-being before God or man. He was giving us a place of perspective in that moment. Imagine yourself, imagine that you make $200 a week and that your monthly bills per month are about $800, and that you have lost your online account and have no idea what's in your bank at any time. You always have this feeling of a little anxiety if I'm going to have enough, right? You know you make just about enough to cover all the regular bills, but you're never quite sure if you actually have enough or if a check might bounce. And then an unexpected bill comes in for $10,000. How do you feel? Overwhelmed. What if you knew you had a billion dollars in your account? With a B. Still making $200 a week. Bills are still $800 a month but you know you have a billion dollars in your account, what happens when you get the unexpected bill for 10 grand? It doesn't make the bill any less. It just makes what you have a lot more. Jesus is putting his kingdom into perspective so that we can have perspective about our place and about our activity in the world. Because We're going to hurt sometimes. We're going to cry sometimes. We're going to face persecution. We're going to be dealt injustices. And if we don't know what's in our account, when the bill comes, we'll be overwhelmed and talked out of whatever we're supposed to be doing. But if we know we have received the kingdom of God in the man, Jesus Christ, who is sitteth at the right hand of the Father. And we know that a billion dollars sits in our account at all times and is never not replenished. When the $10,000 bill comes, yes, it still hurts, but it's not overwhelming. It's in perspective to the kingdom of God. Let's keep testing. Jesus illustrates those that have received the kingdom will be salt and light to the world. Can you hear Jesus saying to all the people in that gathered crowd that the city on the hill that he's talking about is not just some far-off place or some far-off illustration? He's talking about the people that were there first. That the kingdoms of this world, you have to be all kind of there's all kind of manner of ways that you um, that are valued by the kingdoms of this world. But this gathering here, you have become a city on the hill because you have received my kingdom. And I've poured out my life and healing and justice and righteousness and comfort on you. You are that city on the hill. And that that is instructive then for every, every age to come. 
that we will carry the preserving and satisfying and flavor-enhancing message to others who still have rotting and bland lives apart from God's kingdom, that we will carry the illuminating message to those who are groping in darkness. The crowd was a living testimony of the availability of God's kingdom to all humanity through Jesus. And then why does he end with this this clarification about the law? You know, people quickly assumed when they saw Jesus walk in such power that he would overthrow the law and the world systems, that it would be a revolution. And because people knew they had not just heard another powerless list of legalisms, people had heard an upside-down world being set right, and they had the well-being, the healing, and the joy to prove it. And Jesus is saying, yes, the law and the prophets have been twisted around to authorize an oppressive order. But I am not coming to abolish the law and the prophets, just the oppressive systems. I am not coming to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, to reveal their true meaning in the kingdom of God, in me. And so my question, my question for you today is, have you disqualified yourself Or have you disqualified someone in your circle that needs the kingdom of heavens, that needs the kingdom of God? Do you know someone who is spiritually bankrupt, who is grief-stricken, who has a broken spirit, who is looked down on for their innocence, who is persecuted for doing what's right, and they need to know the riches of the kingdom of God that's in their account.